Hi everyone, it's Johanna with Axis Promotions and I'm with Kate Plummer today with Clearmont. She's the VP of Sales and Marketing. And today we're joined with a special guest. It's Val Spiller and she is the president of Elite Marketing out of Chicago. Thanks Val for being with us today. Thank you, Johanna. It's great to be here. Hello, Kate. Hi. I want to just, before we start this, let everyone know that today is July 2nd. And I feel during these crazy times, it's important just to mark what day this is because tomorrow could be way different. And I'm not sure when this will be put out, but today is July 2nd. And we are going to have a great conversation with Val today about diversity and some special topics. So Val, why don't we start by sharing your story and letting everyone know a little bit about you? Sure. I've been in the industry over 20 years. I grew up in the city of Chicago on the south side, which is largely, you know, Chicago is a segregated city, so it was an all-black neighborhood. My parents sent us to Catholic school because they grew up poor and knew the value of education and just kind of scraped and saved and spent that money to send us to Catholic school. I went on to DePaul University, another Catholic school, and graduated with a degree in finance. I wanted to be an investment banker back then. <laughs> and then I started working for a consumer products company, Quaker Oats, in the finance department and just kind of got exposed to sales. And somebody there just uh, saw something in me and offered me a job on the sales team. So I got an expense account and a company car and a cell phone and moved to Florida selling Gatorade. So that's how I got into sales. And I'd like to just say that this person was my mentor and he was critical and crucial in my development over time. So it just speaks loudly to the fact that people can see you and offer opportunities and people kind of advance from there. And after working in Florida for a couple of years, I was moved back here to manage a rep group. And that's how I found out what independent salespeople do, because that's a career that's not largely known in the general public. So I joined a rep firm and we were doing sporting goods primarily in the beginning and then kind of morphed into the promotional product space. And after doing that with a group for a while, I just kind of broke out on my own and started my own agency. And I've had elite marketing for over 15 years. And today I'm happy to represent some really stellar brands, including Aperialis Lines, Stormtech, Stick, Innovation Line, Badger Sportswear, So a pretty good stable of high quality lines. And I just love being in the industry. I think it's very progressive and I love what I do. Awesome. It's always interesting to see how people kind of fall into the industry and how they kind of get here. And Joe and I talked to you earlier this year. And then with everything happening, you did this amazing quick video for Promo Good News. And you broke down what this movement meant and what it kind of meant to go to industry events and not see that many people of color. And so this movement kind of feels different, but do you feel it's different? Do you feel that change is going to happen? And what do you see in your city of Chicago and in your field? Does this strike you as a different one? And what's your sort of feelings on what's happening? It does seem different. I mean, there have been numerous killings of Black people over the years But I've never seen this level of uprising, not only from black people, but from white people. So in that way, it's very, very different. And so 
I feel like we are really making some headway. The problem is so big. I'm not sure how much can be accomplished and how fast, but I definitely see change. I mean, first of all, I have a daughter who's 19 and she's pretty much on fire. We have discussions every night around this topic, which is great to hear from younger people. And she mentioned the idea that smartphones are just making a world of difference because if that murder of George Floyd was not recorded, it would have gone largely unnoticed. It would just be another killing of a black person. But when you actually see this happening on camera for eight minutes and 46 seconds, nobody can deny it. So putting it out there for people to really, really see, I think has made a lot of people appalled. No matter what color you are, when you watch that, there's just no way that you can't be angry. So just the whole smartphone thing, social media has the ability to take things to a whole new height. So that's a big thing. Secondly, I work with kids at my church, which is largely a white church. It's a Lutheran church. I mean, I'm not German, nor did I grow up Lutheran, but I love these kids. I work with the teen group there. And one of them said to me on Sunday that they were ashamed and said that nowhere in the world when something is conquered that you let the flag continue to fly. So why do we have the Confederate flag? If we abolish slavery and said that this is not what we stand for as a country, then why does that continue to happen? You know, why do we have monuments to people who have led the charge to kill, maim, mutilate, hang, whatever, Black people? I never thought of it that way. So I love talking to these young people. And somebody else said, you know, Germany and the Holocaust, you don't see statues of Hitler in Germany. They have acknowledged the issue. They talk about it. They teach about it so that they don't repeat it. They're ashamed of it. But here in America, we have not done that. We largely sweep it under the rug, pretend it's not here, and then continue to go on committing the same types of offenses towards the underprivileged. So talking to kids, for me, just talking in general is a big thing that I have seen out of this. And I'm so grateful for that on many levels, I mean, with all types of people. So that's another thing. And then I've been doing some reading and don't ask me to quote because I've read tons of articles in the last couple of weeks. I read someplace that two thirds of Americans support the movement with most of those people strongly supporting what's happening. And although black people can name the names of the people who have died at the hands of police, you know, Eric Gardner, Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin, and, you know, more, most people, white people, just kind of glossed over these stories, always assuming that the victim was a criminal and pretty much got what they deserved. Now we see that most Americans have dug deeper into this and know the true story. They see that oftentimes, yeah, it may have been a petty crime or whatever, but nobody deserves to be brutally murdered and constantly stalked in the way that some African Americans are. And even now, in addition to those things, I see corporations and organizations leading the charge to affect change, pretty much putting their money where their mouth is and earmarking money for initiatives like recruitment, diversity, and promotions to actually make changes. So not only are we talking about this more, there's much more open dialogue, we are starting to see change. We're seeing public statements, and then we're seeing things happen. Yeah. Kudos to your daughter for pushing some hard conversations. She's younger, and I know I personally feel like a lot of what's happening is because of 
younger people being involved. And it's really quite beautiful to see. Yeah. And I think that we as a country really better acknowledge this because my daughter, along with many other friends, they're looking to work outside of America. She said, when I graduate college, I'm going to go to Canada or Germany or anywhere because it's not good here. Wow. It's not great everywhere. I mean, I'm incredibly proud of Canada, but we also have our own problems. And I think we all get very comfortable thinking, well, we're not as bad as the States. And that's, (laughs) you know, we think that about a lot of things, but it's often not true is that this racism becomes so systematic and systemic and, you know, breaking it apart from just normal things. This is a small example, but Band-Aids come in skin tone. And it's like, what skin tone is that? Or like black ballerinas have a really hard time finding shoes that match their skin tone. And just because it's considered like no money, and I'm using air quotes in here, in representing people of color and that sort of thing. And when you start thinking about it in that way, you realize how deep our expectations are about how comfortable we are in sort of, and I say this as a white person, is like being white, how comfortable it is. And And I think you're right about the smartphones is what that's kind of revealed is that we can see that it's happening. It's not like we start to believe these narratives like Eric Gardner, he was a thug and it's like, no, he was a little boy. And, you know, and you see the protest videos of the cops just beating on these people and you're like, oh, it's not made up. It's not a lie or they're not over exaggerating. And so you're right in the power of the visual in this case. And yeah. It's good, but obviously I'm on a different side of (laughs) experience. (laughs) It's probably everywhere. She's just so irritated by what's happening right now. It's like anything has got to be better than this for me as a young Black person. We also have had other conversations around the phrase white privilege. And I've had instances where people become defensive with that word. So I talked to somebody earlier today and we agreed that maybe the term white advantage would be better because when you say privilege, people think, oh, I'm not privileged. I didn't grow up rich. So it's not that you are privileged in that way. It's just being white. You have an advantage, just like the ballerina shoes. You don't have to search long and hard for a pair of shoes that matches your skin or even a Band-Aid. So that in a way is an advantage for you. Our lives are more difficult because of that kind of thing. You know, it's automatically assumed that you're smart or competent where it's almost like I have to prove myself more. So, I mean, growing up, my dad always said, you have to be 125%, not just 100, but 125. It was a big number in our household. So, so it does exist. And I think people are starting to understand that more too, which makes me really happy. There's two things I want to say here. Kate, your point about visuals and echoing that making things more visual is definitely eye-opening for a lot of people and hard for people, hard for white people, hard for black people. It's a trigger. But if you can watch that video and not cringe and not want to just crawl up and cry, then I don't know who you are. But there's so much like that out there. I think for so long, so many people heard these names, heard Breonna Taylor, heard Sandra Blonde, and not know who these people are. And the media and social media has done such a good job of piloting these stories recently. And if you say you want to get educated, the tools are out there. It's not just Googling someone's name. Recently, I went down like a Netflix documentary path, which 
was super eye-opening and hard to watch, but I did watch a documentary on Sandra Blonde and I was, I couldn't believe the story. I mean, I'd heard vaguely what the story was. And once I watched the documentary, I felt so much more educated and alarmed. So to anyone that's listening, if you want to hear something and not just hear the name and know that that name was affected and that person's family was affected, look at the documentary, read the facts, read the stories, watch the visuals. It's really eye-opening. Val, to your point about white privilege, yes, I hear that a lot lately as well. And I've been following this Instagram account lately. It's called So You Want to Talk About. And they do a really good job of highlighting different topics. Before the movement, they were doing a really good job of highlighting different topics that are happening in the country. But I'm going to share with you guys something that they said about white privilege. And so again, I'm quoting, so you want to talk about, it's an Instagram account. And they say, why are white people so uncomfortable when white privilege is brought up? The word white creates discomfort among those who are not used to being defined or described by their race. The word privilege, especially for poor and rural white people, sounds like a word that doesn't belong to them, like a word that suggests they have never struggled. White privilege. It does not mean that your life has not been hard. It simply means that your skin tone is not one of the causes of your struggles. I read that. I thought it summed it up really nicely. And I sort of like your white advantage a little bit better. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. I saw online that we should stop calling them allies because it implies a hero complex. And we should call them accomplices because it implies that you're in it for the long haul. Hmm. There's a huge amount of change that needs to happen. And most of the time change comes from below and pressuring people to make that change. So that kind of leads us into like, what can we do to change? Like, what can we do as people, as an industry? We're not coming to you for all the answers, but do you have any ideas of what people can do to make things easy? Well, there are tons of things that we can do. I mean, at first, I just thought about how do we get more involved in the community? And does our industry want to get political? That was one of your questions. So I would say that most people would agree that the protests and rallies have been somewhat effective in moving us towards racial equality. However, I think that working directly with Black people to solve problems in the local communities or bringing people from different racial backgrounds together would be a lot more effective. So it's kind of like when you meet somebody on their own turf or in person, it humanizes them. You realize that they're just a kid and they laugh and they giggle or they see you. I mean, some black kids have never seen a white person. You know, they don't know that your kid's bedroom is is messy just like theirs or, you know, that you don't want your kid playing outside after dark or whatever. So there needs to be more interaction at a local level between people of color and, and white people. So how do we achieve that? I mean, there could be just campaigns to go out and visit schools, high schools and colleges and talk about the industry and, you know, have a a mixed race panel of people doing that. There could be internship programs where we bring kids in, suppliers, distributors, have somebody shadow on sales calls, have somebody do projects in your office, have somebody screen print if you're a decorator, just to give them a glimpse into our industry and also provide them with something to do, some pride, a way to learn something. It just kind of needs to be more involvement, more back and forth, I think, between the communities. 
Yeah. You know, I've been saying, Kate's probably sick of me saying it. I keep saying, think global, act local. Yes. Yes. I agree. And I would like to particularly point out young Black men, because I think that they have been victimized in a much bigger way than Blacks in general. If you look at just the prison statistics, how many young Black males are in prison, and then they come out, you've got some sort of felony record, you're never going to be hired. And it's almost like, what else do they have to do? And so when you start looking at the general crime that's occurring in the Black community, it's because these guys, they don't have anything else to do. You know, everybody would love a sense of pride. I mean, it's not like Black men don't want to work or take care of their kids. It's that, how do you live on $7 an hour? You know, if I had a living wage and I could buy a, a home or rent a nicer apartment, it would just be different. But so those are bigger questions than I could even answer here. Those are more political things or social things that we need to address. But some of that stuff is the root of the problems that we're seeing. There's just not enough opportunity. And it's like nobody cares. But now I feel like people are listening. Yeah. And commenting and retweeting and sharing all good things. Switching gears, I've been hearing the term along with white privilege and a lot of other terms. I've been hearing the term microaggressions a lot lately. And I've been trying to read a little bit more on that and some other topics. Would you like to share what microaggressions means to you and what we can do about them? It's actually kind of a new word to me. So this whole thing is bringing out lots of education for all of us. But my daughter certainly knew what it meant. So I talked to her about it. And once I understood what it was, you know, there's, yeah, it happens all the time. It's it's kind of like, I see it as a statement or an action. It could be indirect or subtle and usually unintentional. It's like things that people say or do that are kind of, in a way, discriminatory. So, I mean, when I thought back on it, I've encountered that numerous times. Like I'll meet people in person for the first time and they'll say, I didn't know you were black. And my question would be, well, why should you? What difference does it make, first of all? But it's like, oh, Black people must act or sound a certain way. And when they see that I am Black, they're like shocked, like a Black person can't speak correct English. Is that kind of, you know, is my takeaway from that. Or things like, you're so articulate. Oh, ouch. It's a compliment, but it's almost like, I'm surprised that you're so articulate is really what they're saying. So it's kind of like a, double-edged sword. It's a it's a backhanded compliment is, is what it is. It is, but I have to say, no one's ever said that about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're assumed to be articulate. You should be because you're white, you know, so, but maybe I shouldn't be because I'm black. So it's, it's that kind of thing. No, but I just talk so fast and mumble and look down while I speak. So <laughs> it, I would take it as a compliment if anyone ever told me I was articulate. <laughs> Yeah, but what that does, and people don't understand this, it's like you hear those things and you may not even realize it at the moment, but later on you kind of reflect on that and it just kind of festers. It affects your psyche deep down inside. It's like a constant trauma thing that constantly goes on. And part of that is what happened with this whole George Floyd thing is it, it all bubbles up for people. That's what happened for me. All the things that I've had to do or deal with that you kind of just put under or put aside, they're still there, you know? So this has kind of brought all those things and feelings to the surface. And 
yeah, I think if people would just kind of be conscious about what they're saying, we don't want people to stop asking questions. That's what I would hate to see happen because the great thing that's happening now is people are having conversations. So I would encourage people to continue to ask questions. If you want to know about braided hair, go ahead and ask because people have questions and it's okay, but it depends on how you phrase it and what you say. It could be a backhanded compliment. So that's what I see microaggressions as meaning. Yeah, a lot of people don't always realize they're doing it just because it's just so ingrained in them to sort of be like that comment of, I'm surprised you're black is like, okay, well, were you supposed to have a black voice? And when you're constantly getting it, when you're constantly being subtly undermined, like it has a long term effect on people. There's a lot of talk right now that the constant microaggressions and racism that people face can be considered like long term trauma. And yeah. You have a whole group of people just experiencing this on a day-to-day basis. It's like, that's really tough. And you have to be more conscious of when you talk to people, what you say to them and how cutting you can be, whether intentional or not. And that goes back to sort of the white advantage. It's like, why did I think that way? Why did I say it that way? Right. If we're all more willing to analyze our thinking and our statements, I think we'd be better off. But I think this whole thing, microaggressions, happens to women. So it's not just black people. It's like any underserved group. Women are expected to be able to do less. You're not as smart. We can't do corporate jobs. You know what I mean? That's changing a lot. But I mean, we've suffered that same thing over the decades. You know, I have a five-year-old. I consciously hear people and the way they speak and try to correct that. Mm. Throws like a girl. First thing you see when you see a little girl, you say, oh, you look so beautiful. I love your hair. I love that dress. Right. I try to say, like, you look so strong. Wow. Look how powerful your body is. Look what you can do with your body. Right. It slips out every now and then because a little girl in the cute dress is always cute. But we do have to be so careful in the way we speak to women and little girls. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. So we all really know what it is. And sometimes we don't know what we're doing. Like if you say to a little girl, you're so cute. I love your hair. Your intention is not to make her think less of herself. It's just that's the way we're kind of programmed. And so we have to deprogram ourselves. We have to really be conscious of what we're saying and how we're saying it to anybody. Yeah. Or even in this is kind of like a female and race thing is like, oh, your hair looks so pretty that way. There's so many actresses right now who are fighting for natural hair. Yeah. Like curly, like Tracy Ellis Ross keeps talking about she will be on camera with her natural hair. But then it kind of is like, okay, well, what is the standard for hair then? And it's always like straight and sleek, like, you know, white hair. Right. Yeah. And that's a big thing in the black community. I mean, people, I mean, don't get me wrong. Kinky hair is hard to manage, but I mean, it is what it is. It's the hair that we were born with, but it's always perceived that white is right. So if you want to get ahead or if you want to be taken seriously, can't have braids, you can't have an afro, you just better get your hair straightened so that it could be more like white hair. But that's changing too. And I'm glad to see people are coming forward and being okay with wearing natural hair. And that's another microaggression. Can I touch your hair? What does it feel like? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, do people come up to you and say, let me touch your hair? Oh, how insult. Yeah. Just why would you ask that of anyone? So this kind of goes into my question. 
Some people have dress codes where it's like you can't have an afro. So it's like, again, that's a restriction or women have to wear skirts. When you start thinking about how you kind of break your corporate world apart so that it's not sort of like, this is the lane you go into. What is your experience with the promotional products industry world? How do you feel when you're encountering it? Because I look at it and I see it as very white and very male. Is your experience different being in Chicago or how do you view what it is right now? Originally, my career in sales started in sporting goods, and that was 99% male and 99% white. So coming over to the promotional product side was very refreshing because there are, to me, a lot of women. I was like shocked, actually, at how many women there are working in outside sales roles, supplier, inside people, business owners, distributors. So I am happy. I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but I think there's a good representation of female participation and leadership in this industry. It would be different for people of color. We have a long, long way to go there. Generally, I'm the only black person in the room anywhere I go at any sales meeting, at most of the trade shows. I mean, there could be a few, but, and that's another kind of a weird thing. You just kind of get used to it. I mean, I'm used to operating in that arena. I can't see myself. So to me, I'm just Valerie, but I use it as an advantage. People know me, they remember me because I'm black and there aren't many black people. So it's something that we really need to work on, I think. As an industry, if we're open to it, we need to come up with some ideas on how to be more inclusive. Everybody says that they want to be inclusive. Every college brochure you look at has an Asian, a white person, a couple black people, whatever. But then when you get to those campuses, it's like a sea of whiteness. You know what I mean? So we need to walk the walk and, and actually do something. And I think that this movement that's happening now is going to move us forward a little bit. I don't know how long or how long the momentum will last. I'm hoping for a long time. But yeah, as an industry, I think that we can do more. But there are people who are interested from that video that I did. I've gotten many, many people who have reached out to me asking, what can we do? What should we do? So I'm not, you know, an expert on any of these things, but I am compiling a list of ideas that I would present to my local PPAC chapter, and maybe we can even go national like we talked about earlier. Absolutely. So Val, you've given us a lot of good information today and some really good takeaways and things to think about. Is there anything that you want to add before we close up? I would just say that when we start to think intentionally about things that we can do, maybe people, we start thinking about uh, grassroots, boots on the ground type of activities, interacting with communities, how to be intentional about including Black males. Maybe we look at athletes because those are people that have already demonstrated a certain level of discipline and commitment and a willingness to work hard. But I mean, we know that not all these kids are going to make it to the pros, but they have these qualities. I mean, we can be specific about people that we go and interact with and talk to. It just requires a little bit more thinking and some organization. So I would encourage everybody to start doing that and then see where we go from there. Awesome. And if anybody wants to find you, where could they reach out to you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, Valerie Spiller, and I'm also on Facebook. 
Valerie Spiller. So anybody can message me or connect via LinkedIn and be happy to chat. And if anybody has ideas, I'm just kind of collecting those and I'll pass those along to other organizations or just kind of see what I can do to get involved and move some of these initiatives forward. Yeah, being in Chicago with you, I'd love to see what we can do regionally here in Chicago together. Yes, let's do it. So I haven't had a lot of time recently, but I feel like over the weekend, that's what I'm going to be doing. It's good. I loved it right before we started recording. You had a great line of like, you know, you don't want to become the spokesperson of diversity in the industry, but when a spotlight is shined upon you. And I think everyone should kind of, Val is amazing. She's doing an amazing job and you can sort of send your idea to her and be like, well, solved it. Racism's over, guys. This is a lot of work and you have to keep going. So, yeah. No, it was actually one of my colleagues, another multi-line rep. I won't mention his name. He said, what are you, the poster child for diversity in our industry? <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not my intention at all, nor do I want to be that. But yeah, if you are given a platform, I feel like it's my responsibility to try to move it forward in any way that I can. So, Yeah. It's also bad when you kind of think about it and you're just like, well, you might be the person for diversity because you're the one of few. Like, I have a friend up here in Canada and she has a running joke with her and the other black guy who's another supplier. And they're just like, there's another one. And it's like, <laughs> that's funny and terrible at the same time. And it's, it is. it's good to be able to laugh about it, but we want to, we want to change it so that more of us are laughing about it all together. Yeah. We basically want more people so that Val's not like I'm the black multi-line rep. It's like, you have to know her by Val. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I love you, Val. You know that, but I want more Vals. We <laughs> <laughs> need to spread it around. Cool. Well, thank you for your time. And we will talk to you soon. We really appreciate that. Okay. I appreciate you girls. Let's keep going. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.